You're listening to The Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner. I'm joined by Rich Hoffman. On this week's Sixers beat, we got delayed a little bit. We were planning on doing it Thursday from the uh, Sixers training facility, but on the way there, I ran into a very angry pothole, uh, and that that did not happen. But we are here. Uh, I survived. Car survived. Thank you all for for worrying. I know potholes can be very tragic, but uh, we're here. We're ready to talk about this team. Accidents happen, man. Yeah. Uh, Especially I, on ninety five, but. Uh, I'll begin with the story too that uh, I, I'm surprised I didn't get a flat. I uh, I was rushing to get to the Sixers practice yesterday, and I was driving in through the gate because usually they have us park in a kind of an auxiliary parking lot, which is uh, also used by the BBMT Center. I have no idea why it's being used uh, the last couple of days, but it has been. So they, they've allowed us to actually go in the gate and park inside the facility. Um, I accidentally drove off the curb. Uh, <laughs> uh, there is a clear path to get in to the facility, and I accidentally drove off the curb because I was rushing, and I am stunned my car did not get up a flat tire. <laughs> I mean, I I got to be honest. I'm pretty lucky with potholes. Not that I, I miss them. I, I, I hit them, I feel like, all the time. But I've this is the first flat I've gotten in – Probably a decade, uh, but this was a bad one. Flat tire, uh, bent rim. It was uh, it was fun. It took up my Thursday, but you, you were still able to to get that, that four hundred question chat off in the uh, in the auto mechanic shop. The uh, those, yeah, those, I'm those usually chats good for me are too. those ch- those chats for me are tough. By the way, uh, over at theathletic.com/slash/philly, because I want to take like every question and go really in depth, and then I realize if I answered all one hundred and fifty questions in depth. Would have been there for a week and a half, and the series would have been over. But it was, it was, it was fun doing that chat for sure. It, it's an acquired skill for sure. So, Derek, do you know who hasn't hit a pothole lately? <laughs> oh, how about that? <laughs> what a segue! When we even attempt a transition, we're like, "Oh my God, did you hear what we just did? We transitioned into something." Amateurs at yeah. best. Uh, yes, the Sixers have not hit a pothole in what about a month now. Uh, I think it was March 15th, the, and, in, the uh, Indiana pothole. We are going to get into the uh, the matchup with the Miami Heat in this podcast. That's going to take up a lot of the time. But I, I think before we start there, it, it, round of applause for the Sixers with, with the way this regular season went. Yeah. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk over the last couple of weeks about well, they did run off this streak, but God, did you see how easy the schedule was? And that's true, but come on. I mean, every team in the East plays roughly the same schedule. These these teams were just on the back end, and I mean, it obviously also means that the Sixers schedule at the beginning was murder, which it was. And I, I mean, from the way they're playing defensively to Ben Simmons' ascendancy to He's getting some all-NBA buzz, and rightfully so. Just keeping everything moving, even after Joel Embiid suffers the freak injury to um, 
the, the season finale on Wednesday night, you blow the doors off the Milwaukee Bucks, who may or may not have been trying, but still, just put them into the ground. And to finish up with Markel Fultz, who has been the most frustrating part of your, of your year by a mile. He's probably been the most frustrating part of the NBA season, although maybe Kawhi Leonard can uh, can be in the race with him for that. He has a triple-double, and everybody goes crazy for him, and his teammates are thrilled. It, it really, I mean, to, to finish with 52 wins in the third seed, and to combine that with the way they did it, it was just a remarkable regular season for the Sixers. I uh, I had a guy in my mentions today after after I tweeted out that Embiid would miss Game One uh, of the Heat series. And he's like, "Man, I, I hate to say this, but you can't you can't count on him. Trade him for Kawhi Leonard." And it's like, "What do you what like? Have you have you followed Kawhi's season? Like, they thought he was going to miss like two weeks at the beginning of the year. He ended up playing nine games. Like, and I I love Kawhi, absolutely love him, but to say." And Bede's a an injury risk. You trade him for Kawhi Leonard. It was just very, very odd. A very odd choice to <laughs> trade him for. But I, I got, I got to say, I don't want to hear trade Embiid for anybody. No, because he got smacked in the in the in the eye with Markel Fultz's shoulder. Like that's not that doesn't that doesn't signify injury concern. Like ugh. ugh. And, and just, I'm sorry. The you could trade him for Kevin Durant. The the emotional attachment that Embiid has with the Sixers, like. Uh, Come on, we're willing to to deal with his injury risks. Like you would have to, I would never trade Embiid. Don't put that in the sentence in front of me. No, it was, and like I said, the fact that it was Kawhi just it blew my mind. It blew my mind. Anyway, yeah, it was it was incredible watching. First Embiid goes down, Amir Johnson steps up. You go, you know, Embiid went down. You go, all right, they won eight in a row, but you know, I think the three seed might be out of play. Hopefully, they can even you know, hang on to the four seed. That might be tough to do. They end up reeling eight in a row without Embiid on the court. Unbelievable. Uh, Dario Sharks goes who's... down. Ersan Elisova steps up. Win that game. Like, J.J. Redick goes out. Marco Bellinelli comes in and gives them a huge lift. It was just, it was really great to watch the team have that kind of success. Not not Embiid, not Simmons, but the team have that level of success. And, yeah, not a whole lot of great competition mixed in there. Obviously, you had the Timberwolves. That was a good win. The Cavs, that was a good win, or at least it was a good half of the game. And and the Bucks was sort of kind of maybe a team that is, I mean, they were a playoff team, whether or not they were trying that night or not. So you had three or four decent teams in there, maybe throw in, in Detroit, who is, is kind of sort of decent in there as well. But look, they took care of business. I mean, what? how frustrated was everyone earlier in the season when they couldn't beat Phoenix, when they lost to Sacramento twice, when they uh, when they lost to the Lakers, that, that awful Phoenix-Lakers stretch in December? I had a lot of people questioning Brett Brown because the team wasn't winning the games they should win. And good teams, quote-unquote, win the games that they should win. And for them to come out and look, there aren't you look, you look through this, this 16-game winning streak, there aren't many games that are within a couple of points. Like, they blew yeah. these teams out. They, and, they blew them out without Embiid, too. Right. Blew the doors off them. I'm looking at that, the, the stretch. It's a, a nine-game stretch. I counted the, uh, the Knicks game where he went down at first play of the second quarter. 96 defensive rating, which was tops in the league. And it's just insane that they did that without the guy who was one of the two most impactful players in the league. Like, look, I'm not even sure he's going to be a part of the playoff rotation or if he should be. Rashawn Holmes played the best defense of his career. He was great. And 
they were just blowing the doors off teams. I mean, Simmons was just totally unleashed, and it, it was fun to watch him just push the pace and just keep – I mean, the first half of that Cavs game where he was doing playground shit in the first half, he was so confident. It, it really was amazing to watch and just, just completely flip the narrative of, oh, well, you know, he, he is being helped by Embiid so much. It's like, yeah, no shit, but – he put his foot down and said, guess what? I can handle this by myself. And, I mean, it, it was crazy. Um, I, I think we should have a, a short segment, by the way, Derek. Do, do you think Ben Simmons is the rookie of the year? <laughs> yeah, I, I think he might be. I think he might be. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. All it's right, not even segment. close. It, uh, uh, that's another debate. When he, when he does lose it to Donovan Mitchell, I don't think he will I'm kind of being sarcastic there, but I don't, I don't know. Like there's, there's a lot of smart people, a lot of people who I respect who think Donovan Mitchell is the rookie of the year. And I don't see it like, okay. If you want to say Donovan Mitchell scores four more points on five more shots and that's why he should win it. I don't agree. I think Simmons playmaking is passing the way he controls the game, pushes the tempo, gets his teammate involved. I think that's more, that's more impactful on the offensive side of the court. But when you start comparing what they mean to each team defensively, it's not even close. This kid came in, not only did he average 16, 8, and 8, not only did he average, you know, something like 16 and 9 assists when Joel Embiid was out and really led the team. And a lot of those, he only didn't, he didn't get more because he was, he was out because the game was out of reach. But he might be an all-NBA level defender right from the jump. I don't care how many, and by the way, I think Donovan Mitchell is like, just a little bit, either just a little bit younger or just a little bit older. They're basically right around the same age as each other. I don't care how many years you said it, to come in and be an all-NBA defender right off the jump, it was a remarkable season. Yeah, he's Donovan Mitchell. Looks like he's going to be a really good player. Not the rookie there. Yeah. Okay. And by the good, way. Good segment. <laughs> well, I'm going to get one more in there as you keep trying to transition away. By the way, Jazz fans, the important part is not who gets this meaningless award? The important part is you got a really good player with a 13 pick in the draft, a guy you can build your team around. Don't and I, I guess maybe in Philadelphia we kind of have some, uh, you know, some some practice <laughs> debating the rookie pro- of the year. Sixers fans have that problem too. Yeah, they do. well, especially when you start talking about that other podcast and the pettiness they get involved with. But yeah, I, it's it's like just let it go. It doesn't this this award is meaningless. It was meaningless when Joel Embiid didn't win it. It was meaningless when Michael Carter Williams did win it. And it'll be meaningless if Donovan Mitchell doesn't win it. The key is you got a good player. So, and I will say, I got so sick of that Embiid-Brogdon debate last year. I'm not going to lie. With a little bit of time, I, I really wasn't thinking about it the other night. But when I'm looking down at my computer and Brogdon is checking into the game and the arena's booing the shit out of him, <laughs> i got, I got to say, that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Sixers fans don't forget. They don't forget. All right. Um... Do we want to transition right into the heat then? Might as well. I mean, that's what the Sixers, that's that's all they got on their plate right now. So when you were considering who you wanted them to play, not throwing in like travel arrangements or anything like that, not, not how it impacts our lives, but in terms <laughs> of who you would have wanted the Sixers to play from a, a, a winning perspective, where did the heat rank in that group? Well, let's get to the the travel wise first off. I, I can tell you that Indiana was last on that, that <laughs> yeah. list. So, and, and then Milwaukee was right there too. Not because I have anything against Milwaukee. Actually, I hear it's a nice town. I just don't feel like dealing with Milwaukee in the middle of middle of April. I looked at the the weather forecast and like this would have been before Game Three would have happened, but it was a couple days before. 
It was in the 30s, Rich. Oh. Oh. <laughs> what a swing of emotions those games were <laughs> with all the uh, the permutations that, that, that could have happened there. Um, yeah, it, when, when you look at the teams, I, I would say it, it was kind of hard to pick between them because, to me, the Heat have a lower ceiling than the Bucks and the Wizards. I mean, after the Pacers, after the Sixers figured out they were the third seed, I mean, they – they, it was down to those three teams, and I thought, well, the Heat do not have the star-level talent of a Giannis or even a John Wall and, and Bradley Beal. Which, by now, the way, said, it took about three minutes of that Sixers-Bucks game to realize the Sixers had the three-seed. About yeah. three minutes, yeah. I mean, but yeah, and that, that kind of – I mean, I think if you asked me this before that game, I might have had the same answer, but I would have offered it in a different way. And I, I guess my point is that the Heat have a higher floor. The Bucks, I mean, they can they can look like absolute shit, man. <laughs> I I get that Giannis can completely take over a game, and you know they have guys like Bledsoe and, and Middleton to an extent who can you know you know be matchup problems for teams like the Sixers. But man, they just do dumb stuff. Like their their defense is just ugh, some of the mistakes they were making the other night. It was it was Cavs esque, and they they didn't have a LeBron to bring them back into the game. And then I, I gotta say I haven't been watching the Wizards too much. Some of these losses are unbelievable. Lose to the freaking Magic. The Magic yeah. are tanking. When the I, Hawks at home. Yeah, I know. So and like you so, said, there were very this was the end of this NBA season was just. It was garbage. Like the eight tanking teams, it was. And, and look, I've always said the Sixers made the right decision to exploit tanking, but it wouldn't. Competitive balance has always been a thing of mine. I'd like to like to see that fixed. The end of this NBA season was tough. There was no team in the league who had more incentive to tank that final game than the Orlando Magic, and to still lose to that when you had something to play for. When you they could have been the seventh seed, it was mind boggling. Yeah, and that that brings us back to Miami, who does not have, I think, the ceiling of those teams, just because Goran Dragic is their best player, and I mean he should not have been an All Star this year. Their their strength is their bench. Their strength is their uh, their group of long, rangy defenders, which is going to present some problems for Ben Simmons. It's it's a tough matchup in that way. And then their strength is their coach and their their organization. So it's different. I mean, I, I think. Kyle and I were talking about it the other day, and he he brought up a good – I thought he put it well. He said, the Heat are going to play seven C-plus, B, maybe B-plus games. The Wizards and Bucks would have been capable of some A's. They, they could have beaten you just with, you know, these offensive displays, either from Giannis or, or the Wizards shot-making – but they also could have shit the bed for a couple games. They could have they could have thrown up some D's or you know some C minus efforts. So to win this series, the Sixers they're gonna have to the Heat are not gonna beat themselves, and and that is where the challenge lies for the Sixers. Yeah, no, I I think that's a a real good way to put it. Like Miami, from a talent perspective, doesn't doesn't really concern me. Like I don't look at them. And we'll get into it, and we'll get into defending the Drogic pick and roll, and 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 keeping Whiteside off the offensive glass when he's there, and, and Dwayne Wade turning back the clock like he always does against the Sixers. 
but they're he's not going to make every shot. Oh, man. of course he is, especially in the fourth quarter. And I think he's he's shooting like twenty five percent on those late game shots against the Sixers. But man, that one he made just sticks out. They don't concern me offensively. Like you don't look at them. Look, how are we going to stop them? That's not something I really worry about too much. And yeah, you, like I said, you got to worry about that Dragic pick and roll. You got to worry about some of the switches, whether or not they've maybe learned from the the Cleveland mistake. Not that they space the floor anywhere near Cleveland's level or have LeBron James, but you're going to have to figure that out. But they're not going to lose very many games. And I think the biggest concern I have is their perimeter defenders and whether or not they're going to get the Sixers back in that turnover-prone team we saw for much of the season. Because that's really my big takeaway from the last you know month of play is this team just doesn't really turn the ball over all that much anymore. They don't lose games the way they lost games earlier in the season. And as long as that team doesn't resurface, I think they have a real good chance, even if Embiid misses a game or two here at the beginning. But the Heat have such pesky defenders. They have so many defenders on the perimeter. And they really get up into you and get into those picks and get into those dribble handoffs that I do worry they're going to you know, force the Sixers into some turnovers. So I don't think the uh, the, the Heat are going to beat you in the traditional sense that we think of, where you know one guy's just going to go crazy and and carry them to a win, or they're going to run up and down the court and drill threes and just really demoralize you. What I worry is that they're going to they're, they're going to bring out the worst version of the Sixers. Yeah, and I'm looking to to illustrate the Sixers talent disparity. I mean, the Sixers are just flat out a better team. If you look, I, I haven't seen Miami's point differential. I guess I can pull that up. But for this season, the Heat were outperforming how good of a team they actually were. They, they were getting by on their bench. They, they played a million close games, too, and, and I, I don't exactly remember how they've done in those games. I mean, they're they're barely... Their point differential is barely above zero. So plus point, you know, and the, yeah. the six. So the Sixers are a much better team than them, and and I think one stat that, that sort of shows the difference is the Sixers' starting lineup has been one of the best high minutes groups in the league. Six hundred minutes plus twenty one point four per hundred <laughs> possessions. That's awesome. That's absurd. <laughs> okay? That's absurd. So, I mean, but here's the thing. A lot of the, the starting lineups, you know, there are a lot of teams who can at least match the Sixers with, with good starting lineups that have been successful. Not the Heat. Their, uh, their main starting lineup only played 200 minutes, but that's the group that I, I think we're going to see, which is Dragic, Josh Richardson, Tyler Johnson, James Johnson, and Whiteside. They played 200 minutes. They're uh, they're minus 1.6 per hundred possessions. So, you know, if if Embiid can get back on the court, and that is going to be the big wild card. I, <laughs> we we were laughing today about the Sixers ruled him out, and we were kind of looking at each other like, are we sure we completely buy that he's going to be out for tomorrow? That he's not going to wake up and say, oh, I'm playing. I want to yell at Whiteside. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but, I, but the Sixers are better. I think is the point there. They're better, and they might be better without Embiid. By the way, like I'm not going to say I'd pick them, but if Embiid misses series, it wouldn't shock me if they were able to still win it. Like I think they're that much better than them. But Miami, like like we said, they don't make the mistakes that I mean, Milwaukee will lose a game, 
just from sheer just bad decisions and, and, and not executing their game plan and being all over the place defensively. My, Milwaukee will lose a game, a series, just based off of that, and that could swing a series. Same thing with Washington right now. They'll just lose a game because John Wall will make some of the most inexplicable decisions that you'll see, and when he's not playing at that level that he was last year, those decisions become much more, um, they become much more, t- more difficult to stomach. Miami's not going to, they're not going to do that. They're not, sh- not going to shoot themselves in the foot to the point where they're going to lose a game. I just don't know how many games their talent is going to allow them to steal. So if Embiid was playing, I would be very confident about the series. Even if Embiid misses two games, I'm still confident of this series because the Sixers should be able to come out. They should be able to blitz them. They should be able to really take advantage, like you said, of that weak starting lineup. And their depth is playing very well, especially when you when you start looking at how this team has played with Embiid out. They're getting contributions every night from Ilyasova, from Bellinelli, even from Markel Fultz. So when you're talking about an eight or nine man, you know, probably a nine man rotation, when Embiid comes back, they've got a assuming Bellinelli doesn't, you know, doesn't turn back into a pumpkin. If they <laughs> keep playing like they are, they have a they have real depth. They have an, the kind of shooting and the playmaking that you need coming off the bench, which they didn't have all year, but which Markel Fultz is currently giving them, even if he's still not really willing to shoot beyond fifteen feet or so. They have a lot of ingredients that they should be able to win this series. I would just feel a lot better if Embiid was ready to go. Serial Twitter, Twitter blocker, Marco <laughs> Bellinelli. Yeah, I never, I've never added him, and I don't. Whatever. I, to be honest, I don't even follow most of the t- most of the players. Um, so I don't, I don't particularly care if I'm blocked. It was just weird because I don't follow him. I, I've never tagged him. I've never. I'm sure he. I'm 100 percent sure he searched his name. But whatever. That that's his right. If I was an NBA player, I'd probably want to know what people are saying about me too. Well, they took a page out of the Brandon Graham playbook. So I'm <laughs> expecting some big shots these playoffs. Is uh, that's that's my point there. It's it's really amazing this Fultz thing. He uh, he's going to be tested. They're going to play off him, and yet I still feel kind of confident that he can give him some decent minutes off the bench, which is just crazy when you think back to a couple weeks ago. That that I have any level of confidence that that Fultz can play in the playoffs and not really hurt the Sixers. It's just crazy. Um, pace is going to be a big deal in the, in this series. He plays slow. I think I, I don't know the exact number, but they they were around 26th in the NBA in pace. Yep. Six, Sixers are fourth, but more importantly than that, before they get Embiid back, I mean that team plays like lightning fast. I mean I, I'm looking at it now. The last nine games. 106 possessions, which is freaking – I mean, Simmons is just pushing the ball like a madman. And I think it's going to be huge. The Heat are a really good half-court defensive team. If they can get locked into their matchups, they don't switch all that much. If they can get back and locked into their matchups, they're tough to score on. I mean, what are they? They're a top-ten defense, right? Yeah, yep. So – you have these guys like Richardson and Justice Winslow and James Johnson. They execute that, that Spolster's scheme, and Spolster's freaking smart too. Where the Sixers need to make hay is Simmons pushing the ball and just creating these mismatches. I, uh, I'll i be interested to see how much Whiteside plays without Embiid because right. – it's he almost needs Embiid to play to justify his position. 
he really needs to roast Amir Johnson or, I mean, the Sixers are going to try and run the ball. And, I mean, Whiteside goes for all those offensive rebounds and he could get some of them. But, man, if he misses it and, and he goes hard for it, that's where the Sixers can really, you know, they can get these five-on-four situations. And that's what the Heat don't want. So I'll be interested to see that. I think, I mean, it also makes sense, too. Olenek is a guy who kind of scares me a little bit. He uh, he obviously doesn't, he's almost in the Amir school. He doesn't look like he uh, he makes a positive contribution on the team. But, man, he spaces the floor and he moves the ball. And he'll probably do some dirty shit, too. But he's a good player. And I... Uh, I'll be interested to see, even with Embiid, if, if Spolster tries to get away with playing Olenek at the five for long stretches. Because, I mean, I, I talked about how poor the Heat starting lineup has done. Their bench, especially guys like Olenek and uh, Wayne Ellington, have been really good for them this year. Yeah, yeah. And going back to transition, you know, we talked about Bellinelli and how consistent he's been when maybe, maybe at other times throughout his career he hadn't been. And I think a big part of that is Ben Simmons and pushing the ball in transition and all of those early threes that a lot of people moaned about earlier in the season. I think just getting those open looks, it makes his life so much easier. And to have a real transition savant like Simmons next to him, I think it helps him. I think it helps Redick. Uh, obviously, it helps Dario. So hopefully, I mean, hopefully, if those shooters, and those shooters have been consistent throughout this entire run, and that that's no coincidence at all. It's always a little bit disconcerting because two or three bad games in a row from your shooters could could be the end of a playoff run if they can find a way to maintain consistency. And a lot of times shooting, it's not like you can quote-unquote find a way. It's just like we, we talk about variance a lot. Hopefully getting those open looks in transition helps a guy like Bellinelli out. But, I mean, right now he's making everything he throws up anyway. It doesn't matter if it's open or not. So he might just be in one of those, you know, one of those runs. Yeah, and I mean, those transition's such a big deal here because the Heat want to get matched up against their guys. Like, the Sixers, when they run back on defense, you can ease – I mean, you'll see this a couple times a game. Simmons and Covington will just point at each other, and, and the player that they were uh, supposed to be guarding, the guy who's on the scouting report, their man, they'll just switch with each other because it's easier and the floor – is more balanced like that. The Heat don't do that. They're, they want, I think we're going to see Josh Richardson to start on Ben Simmons. And I think a lot of that reason is because Simmons also guards Richardson. They want the floor balanced. So they, it, if Simmons can get out and, and just create havoc and, and get the early offense, that's going to be a big deal. And I mean, that, you know, of course the defense is going to play a big part. The, the big reason why I think the Sixers are going to win this series the Heat just don't have enough offensive firepower. I, outside of Goran Dragic, I just do not see a lot of guys who are going to be able to create their own shots against this team, especially when Embiid plays. And a lot has been made about what Spolster can do in terms of adjustments as the series goes on, and there are questions about what, what Brett can do to match that because, I mean, fairly, Spolster has been through the wars, and he's been a head coach for a long time, deep into the playoffs. He understands this. I just think the Sixers, once they see the heat, especially when Embiid comes back, once they play Miami for three or four games, they're going to figure out what they do, and it's just going to be hard for them to score, I think. Yeah, Miami only has so many different sets they can go to to generate consistent offense. 
And like you said, they're a top, I think, like maybe seven defensive team. And that's really what they've written. But they do have lineups where they can get out there and they just can't score. And you take Goran Dragic off, or if he's having an off night, you do really wonder where that offense is going to come from. So as long as the Sixers don't really turn the ball over, give them transition shots that they by and large don't generate all that well on themselves, you, you pretty much have to set them up. As long as those two things are true and you keep them off the glass, it's really extra possessions are going to be huge in, in, in this series. As long as they don't revert back to that team earlier in the season that turned the ball over, as long as they maintain that dominance on the glass that they've had now for quite a while, I really like their chances. And like I said, I don't, you know, Brett today was very conservative in Embiid. He said he didn't want to give a timeline, um, didn't want to even commit to him being back at all this, this series. I would be really surprised if that happens. Like you said, we were joking, and not that I think they're lying about the scattering report. I know a lot of people think, or about the injury report, I know a lot of people think, oh, they're going to, you know, they're trying to screw with Miami and, and their ability to game plan. Yeah, I think he's out. Yeah, but there is a part of me that also says, like, I'll believe it when I see it. Like, it, it's yeah. just, he, <laughs> And that's just because of knowing Embiid and how he, you know, how he thinks, how he competes, how much he's looking forward to this. I'll just, like, I expect he'll be out. But would it be completely stunned if, if something happened? I mean, he, he's talked his way back onto the court before. Um, which, again, don't don't listen to this and think we're saying that he's going to play. I think he's not going to play. But I'll, I don't think he's going to play. Yeah. But I, don't, well, okay, also don't, what, I also don't expect him to miss the entire season. I would be pretty surprised if that happened. Yeah, if you had to guess, what game does he return? Game three. Game three. Yeah, I, I'll be interested to see. I mean, if they lose the first game, do they bring him back for game two? If 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 they win the first game, I would say game three would be my guess because you know either you're up two nothing and he's gotten a basically an extra week of rest, or you're tied one one and you're you're going to Miami. I, the interesting scenario to me is if they lose game one and I mean in that case you kind of really need to win game two. Um, do you bring him back for that game? Yeah, and I you know we'll see. I mean this for JoJo this is uncharted territory. I mean usually when we talk about injury and this isn't just for him. This is for everybody. It's how well can he move on that ankle? Can he catch with the, uh, you know, a, maybe a bruised hand or something like that? No, this is his face. Uh, and he's, he's obviously going to have the mask. It'll be, uh, be interesting to see if the, the NBA lets him go with the dark mask. He, uh, he said that he was struggling a little bit with the, uh, the clear mask and, uh, you know, I, I guess we'll just have to see on that. But, uh, yeah, I, it's it's kind of uncharted territory for us because I don't even know how to evaluate it. No. And I think the NBA has been pretty clear over the last three or four years that only clear masks are allowed, right? Like that, that, that's a thing? Yeah. Ho- hopefully it doesn't turn into Rip Hamilton and, and wear it even after his face <laughs> is fine. Uh, yeah, I don't – I could see him – I mean, he, he he's tried even like headbands, and he's gotten annoyed with it pretty quickly. I could I could see this him wearing this exactly how long he's told he has to wear it, and nothing more. I don't I don't expect that. All right, let's get into. I guess let's just go ahead and and go to the predictions. What what what's your gut tell you on uh, on the outcome of the series? So this, I think the Sixers are going to win because, like we said, I, I do think Joe's going to come back. Fairly quickly. It's not going to be the last couple of games. I'll put it that way. Uh, my guess, 
I've been struggling with six or seven. I am going to say, I'm going to say seven that the Sixers win in. Um, I I don't think it'll be a tough seven, seventh game. The, uh, the the Heat are going to make them work for it. You know, even if they win, I I do think it'll be a good experience in that they're not going to play a team that just completely falls apart. Like, maybe the Raptors have in past years or, or the Wizards could have or the Bucks could have. Uh, and I, I think there's going to be one game where the, the Sixers lose because Wade hits some bullshit shots in the fourth quarter. And it's just going to be one of those deals like, all right, what are you going to do? Um, yeah, so, so I'll, say, I'll say seven, but with a, uh, with a big win in Philly in game seven. I think that would be great. Like if they actually came, brought it back to the Wells Fargo Center, one in front of that crowd, I think that would be. Can't wait for the crowd, by the way. It would be an incredible moment. But I, the, I think the crowd's going to be great the next couple of weeks. The nerves of a game seven could really swing that crowd too. Like that, as <laughs> as a fan, game sevens you should drive me insane. And I was at my fair share of them during the two thousand and one run, uh, which makes me feel really old right about now. But they're great as long as they go a very specific way and do that fairly early in the game. Um, I'm going to say. You're, so go you're saying you're saying the Bucks game seven in 2001. Oh my god, that, that was a little more fun than yes. the Raptors game. Game six, on the other hand, was completely nerve wracking. Do you remember game six of the Bucks series when a uh, Robinson or was it game five? No, I guess it would have been game five because it was at the at the whatever the hell they called the building at that time. Uh, when First Rob- Union Center. Yeah, probably. Um, that sounds about right. But when Robinson had like an open 10-foot baseline and just clanked it, and it would have yeah. won the game, it was in, uh, he makes that shot nine times out of ten. I uh, remember that game. Eric Snow made a runner from about yep. 19 yep. feet. Yeah. Yep. Basketball has evolved since then, folks. <laughs> a lot of people, that, that was a debate today on the radio, 0-1-6ers versus, versus the current team. I got to admit, and I don't think this is so much – being caught up in the moment with this team, I think this team blows that team out of the water. And it's a lot because of how the game of basketball has changed, how much smarter teams have gotten, how much better prepared they are to maximize their abilities. I mean, just think of the spacing of Tyrone Hill and George Lynch and Eric Snow and Dikembe Mutombo. It's amazing Iverson was able to do what he, he did. I always, you know, because... In analytic circles, Iverson's always a, a hot topic. I would love to see what he would do in today's NBA with the spacing and the rules that exist now. I think he'd be a terror. But shutting that team down, I I, I would take this team. I don't even think that's uh like I said. I don't think that's being caught in the moment. That team, I had, I was it was different back then because I was allowed to be a fan, and I was a hundred percent invested in that team. I enjoyed watching that team. It was probably the most fun I've ever had watching. Basketball, I think this team wins. I really do. I'm surprised. When you said there was a debate on the radio, I thought it was about which team was more fun or what the the run were you more invested in. In terms of the teams, come on, man. They would kill that. That team would be a lottery team now. And it's, it's always tough to do this because you're comparing different eras. And no, nobody played like this back in 2001. It wasn't a thing that. Yeah, like, that's true. But, I mean, if you're talking about playing under the current set of rules, it doesn't even matter the rules. This team's just, it's better equipped to function. It's just, it, it, yeah. the pieces fit better. A- anyway, it's completely different. Um, 
Back to your prediction on the series. Oh yeah, I didn't get my Sixers in six. I, I think they're going to take it in six. I, I just yeah. like you. I just I don't see Miami having the kind of offensive firepower as long as the Sixers don't shoot themselves in the foot and give them easy buckets and give them uh give them extra possessions. I think the Sixers win this. I think Embiid comes back in Game Three. I think they're probably let's say they split the two in Philadelphia, uh, split the two in uh in Miami, and then I think the Sixers take the final two. And, yeah. and walk away with six. That's where my head's at, at least. But which means I'll probably lose in four, and everybody listening to this podcast can blame me, and and I'll take it. Yeah, All right, I, I can see that. Now let's go to some some random questions. Does Ben Simmons? Does Markel Fultz play one minute with Ben Simmons during the series? Mm, I'm gonna say no on that. I agree. I agree. I think TJ could be almost out of the rotation. Like, I think if Bellinelli or Redick struggle or they get into some foul trouble, you could see TJ playing some off-ball. I do think Markell is going to get pretty much every minute available as a backup point guard. And I think Brown's probably going to want to try to limit the amount that TJ is playing off the ball because, let's be honest, you're kind of doing that to force TJ into the rotation more so than you are it being, a, a to me, a real optimal situation. So I think TJ's minutes are going to be limited unless something happens. I think the nine-man rotation, by and large, is going to be, when Embiid comes back, is going to be Fultz, Bellinelli, Ilyasova, and Holmes. Uh, Justin, and Amir. Uh, I, meant, I meant Amir, not for, forget Holmes. I don't, yeah. As well as he's played, I don't think he's going to you know, supplant um, Amir in the, uh, in, in, in the pecking order right now. Um, I think you could see some Justin Anderson again if Bellinelli or Redick or someone of that ilk is ineffective or in foul trouble. But again, I don't necessarily expect he'll be a regular part. Just like I don't expect TJ will really be a regular part. I, I, like I said, I think it's going to be Fultz, uh, Amir, Ilyasova, and, and Marco. And I think they're going to stick with that. And the, they're playing The more well. we say that, though, I mean, Simmons is going to play 40 minutes a game. Yep. There's not gonna, I, I think people are expecting like 20 minutes of, of Fultz. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, the more I think about it, though, I mean, there's a difference between 20 and 8, though. Could you, could you see a couple minutes a game? I don't know. I, I think my guess would be no, because it, at least the start, because the Sixers are, are really – I think they're probably pretty happy with if, – if not Fultz's – on court development, I think they realize he's got to figure out his jumper over the summer. But just his mental state right now, and, and how they've sort of salvaged the season in that way, they, they're going to be careful not to put him in any situations that uh, that could potentially hurt that. Yeah, he. I mean, he has reason to go into the off season optimistic. Yeah, and I think I think that's a great development. I mean, watching him get that triple double uh, to end the season was it, was it was a really good moment, and watching the the crowd react and the teammates react it was it was great to see i th- i mean I, if we're talking about does he you know has he earned more than 8 minutes a game and maybe taking it back maybe he will play very very short stints with with simmons but not much yeah he's probably earned more minutes than that it's just when you stop playing back to backs you get a day or two of rest in between you want to maximize how much time ben simmons is on the court until he figures that jump shot out it's it's, it's going to be tough to really mitigate that, so it's it's a uh, you know a bit of a yeah. tough spot. It's it's crazy that the Sixers have three point guards who can get triple doubles but can't shoot. It's really not many <laughs> NBA teams built like that. But here we are. 
Um, the more we talked about it, I, I could see a minute or two per game has, with, with Fultz in there. Has Brett done but, that, though, in non-blowouts? I think every time they've done that, it's been a blowout, right? Yeah, I think it's been in the third quarter of games. Yeah, it's it's interesting, but Simmons also has played 30 minutes a game in most of those blowouts, too. So yeah. yep. I guess we'll all see together tomorrow. Um, over under Bellinelli 40% from three on the series. It's going to be important because they don't uh, they don't switch, so he's going to have his chances. I uh, I'm going to go under on that, slight under, like you know, thirty seven, thirty eight percent on on a lot of threes too. He's going to get them up. Now, all in on Bellinelli, forty five percent. He's going to nail it. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. Impossible to say. Um, He's important, man. Him and Reddick. Oh, they're incredibly important. Incredibly important. Uh, the attention they receive is, is is really key. It's really key. Um, I don't know, man. I this whole. I think, I think Sarich is going to be really important too. Yeah, he he's because, the only one. If you look at their numbers, Reddick struggled at times against the Heat. Covington was brutal, and a lot of these games, like the two close games that they lost. You know, a big part of that is that Covington was in the middle of his, you know, three-month month slump, and he's out of that right now. And, and Covington playing like he is now changes both of those games pretty substantially. Um, but Covington's been down. Reddick's been down. Dario's been the one who's really stepped up and, and really played well. I think he's shooting in the high 40s from three against the Heat. They've had a little trouble matching up with him, or at least they've been a little more willing to help off of him, and he's taken he's, he's certainly taken advantage of that. Yeah, and I mean, whether it's those kickback threes in transition where he's trailing the play and Simmons is probing or just, I mean, with that with that first unit, I, I would imagine James Johnson will play him if uh, if Richardson starts out on Simmons. But, but there are a lot of units that the Heat play where they'll have one of those good wing defenders in, and that sort of creates a mismatch, especially uh, I know when, when Johnson played against uh, Simmons, Sarge had Josh Richardson on him, and Josh Richardson's a really good defender. Dario can bull him, yeah. If uh, if he's going good, so I, you know, that's part of the reason why the Sixers are so good. By the way, is that they have Simmons. You know, if you want to put a small guy on him, then Dario can pull a guy out to the three point line. You want to put a big guy on him, then Dario can you know have those bull in the china shop drives. He's going to be big, I, and especially when uh, when the Sixers get in the half court situations, he is their clear second creator. So, all right, one final question, and then we will let you go. I know we talked about Coach of the Year before. Do you think Brown gets any more consideration now that they're fifty-two win, three seed, NBA record, sixteen wins? Not do you think he deserves it, but do you think he will get like? Is he a serious challenger now for the media vote? I don't think so. No. I I mean I think that's an award that you win in the middle of the season. That that's one where the narrative builds, oh wow, this guy's been doing a great job and the media just keeps echoing that for a few months. Um I'm I'm not even there's been a strong uh sort of roar from Sixers fans that that Brett deserves to be the coach of the year and I mean you could not find two bigger Brett Brown fans than us. This award's hard, man. I I don't know. I, I look in the Sixers division. Dwayne Casey's done a great job with the Raptors. Brad Ste- Brad Stevens. I 
that Celtics roster is bad. And for them to be the second seed in the East, losing Hayward in the second or the first quarter of the season and getting however many games of, of Irving. And then, I mean, God, Dan Tony's done a great job in Houston. It's, it's just a hard award. I, I think a lot of coaches have done a really good job. But my answer is, I, I think, you know, he might come in fourth or fifth, but Brett needs the season where the Sixers take the next step to, uh, to I think, get, really start to get coach of the year bus. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's. He deserves a Lifetime Achievement Award for, uh, for, for coach the of the year. Um, yeah. No, I mean he's he he's had a coach of the year caliber season. Like you, I think a lot of that is narrative, and I think getting that kick started a little bit earlier would have helped his chances. I do think if you're going to try to recapture a narrative, a 16 win winning streak at the end of the season helps. He's done, but a great I, job. he's done a great job. I don't think he has quite enough momentum to get it. I do agree with you that a lot of people probably de- decided this award a while ago, um, and. I mean, there's a lot of qualified candidates. This is a, a, an award that's heavily contested. We talk about Defensive Player of the Year, and Bede's really only got one other person with legitimate competition. You talk about Rookie of the Year, there really is no competition, but there's only one other guy people are talking about. With Coach, Coach of the Year, there's five, six, seven guys who have done... Nate know, McMillan. I mean... Quinn Snyder. I always say Greg Popovich should get it, too, and he's he's done a lot with a little this year as well. There's just a lot of qualified candidates. They will steal each other's votes. I don't think Brett quite has the national recognition where he's going to get it. But again, this is, it kind of goes back to my rookie of the year. The key for Sixers fans is that Brown has established himself as a coach who can get a lot out of a talented team. The award is kind of meaningless after that. I, th- I thought his answer yesterday when he was asked how he felt about getting coach of the year buzz was perfect. And his his thing was, well, I'm just really grateful that the ownership and the organization allowed me to see this thing through because yeah. I mean, there's some crazy number. The Sixers can go 52 and 30, I think for about five years and he'd still be under 500 <laughs> overall in terms of his record. Um, the, the, the Sixers were able to, he basically said they allowed me to, to build a culture and, and a way that we want to play and, and set up the organization and he basically was saying this on the same day as Frank Vogel got fired. Right. And Jeff Hornacek got fired. And while I'm not going to say those guys did a kick-ass job in their respective posts, Red Auerbach or Phil Jackson would not have done anything with either of those rosters. So I think Brown was just – the coaching fraternity, all these guys are really tight. I mean, you see it with Jeff Van Gundy. He will not say a bad thing about any coach. And, and that goes – to Brett, that goes to Pop. I can't wait till we see an NBA coach where, where they say about the other guy, I, I freaking hate that guy. I, right. I hate his guts. He's not that good. That doesn't exist. So I, I do think like that was a great answer, though, when he said, it's just I'm happy that now that I'm getting some, some credit for my coaching, people can see what happens if you have a plan and you have the patience to let people see it through. <laughs> If we were the other podcast, that would kickstart an hour-long rant about seeing a plan through. But I think everybody listening to this probably gets it. We got That's real- true. I'm, I'm, not, I'm saying they let Brett see it. Right. <laughs> but we are seeing the results of, uh, of that orchard. But thanks for jumping on, Rich. We'll talk to you soon. We'll try to do a couple of these during the course of the, the first round series. And uh, 
It's here, man. It's here. Here they come. Hashtag. Check out the Athletic Philly, everybody. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBowlers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Yeah.